that's kind of where it all derived from was flat track racing. And it kind of sucks to see that. And, uh, you know, hopefully, like you said, Harley, Harley will figure something out or there'll be some changes made to where we get that back because I think that's, you know, a huge part of bringing fans in and creating like the diversity between the two brands. I think that's really important for the sport. Episode 72, Tank Slapping Podcast. Back in the booth with my man, Frankie Garcia. What's going on, bro? Not much, man. Just, uh, you know, finish, finishing up the day. Got home from work and uh, just thinking about motorcycles. So I'm, I'm ready for this, man. I needed this. I just go work all day. And uh, I can't wait to do this and talk about my favorite things. <laughs> yeah, dude, I'm amped up. We got... We don't have enough mechanics on our show. We get a lot of mechanic requests like, yo, get this person on, get that person on. Um, we got a mechanic tonight. <laughs> That's what I'm getting at. We got Brent Armbruster coming on the show. For those who don't know Brent Armbruster, he was a really well, um, sorry, really good racer, like well, well known, has a lot of good finishes as a racer from 1990 to 2002. He was national number 73, Michigan born, raised. Um, a lot of people know Brent Armbruster from, uh, he was Jared Meese's mechanic for quite some time. Uh, I don't know the exact length, but I want to say it was five or six years. Won a couple of championships, championships with Jared Meese, worked with Jake Johnson, Henry Wiles. Uh, the list goes on, Brandon Robinson. So we'll talk with Brent Armbruster. He's known for having some of the most badass looking bikes to get on the racetrack. Just everything is super clean, beautiful looking motorcycles. And obviously, Brent's track record as a mechanic speaks for itself. Self so to get him on and, and chat with him a little bit about uh, his career on the bike and uh, and wrenching. And I can't wait. It's going to be good. We were always talking to racers, but going behind the scenes and finding some stuff out from someone on the other side of the fence, you know, a mechanic is going to be really cool. We can get a little bit of insight on you know the different differences between some of the older bikes and and the '90s and the XR uh, era and kind of what's changed and what's going on nowadays and the biggest differences in things and just a little little bit of a different perspective i think it's gonna be really cool yeah and he's worked on a ton of shit man he's worked on the xr 750 he's worked with the lloyd brothers and those guys they pretty much bring everything to the racetrack it seems like ducatis and aprilias and and then i'm pretty sure he worked for brandon robinson when he was on the triumph a little bit uh maybe that was just joe cop i'll we'll have to ask him uh, and then obviously he worked uh, for the uh, on the Indian FTR 750, as well as he was the crew chief for the Harley Davidson Vance and Hines team. I think for one, maybe two seasons on the XG 750. So we can get some insight from him on that motorcycle as well. But uh, yeah, amped up to chat with him. We'll we'll talk some shit. We'll have some fun. Uh, man, I it was cool seeing you at SAC, bro. I, I don't get to see you that often. I, we haven't been to California in a minute, so. I got to see you at SAC and I'll see you again here in Charlotte uh, next weekend. But, but SAC was a good time, bro. It was, it was good to be out there. Yeah, dude, I couldn't let you go there. And, you know, with the intent of winning a championship by yourself, like I had to show my support. I had to come in, make it happen. And uh, while I was there, I hit Lodi. My dad raced the night before the mile, uh, Friday night before, before day one of the SAC mile. And uh, so I got to do that and I hit Hangtown uh, Saturday morning really quick. And 
yeah, man, it was just cool to be there. Couldn't couldn't miss it. I mean, between you and Shayna and you know Briar, and I just had to come up and see the crew. And uh, man, great times. And oh, look yeah. at you, dude, wrapped it up. <laughs> yeah, man, it was awesome to see it. Yeah, it was. I love California. I mean, I the last time I was in California was Paris in 2019, and I I won Paris. And then Sacramento, we got two wins. I, I really like coming to California. I don't know what it is, but uh, maybe it's the dirt, man. I, I really like the dirt that we race on out there. A lot of motocrossers say they hate the dirt. It's all dry and shitty. But uh, have you ever seen that video of Jason Lawrence talking about how much he hates California? Uh-huh. I've seen it, man. <laughs> I mean, it's all true. The tr- I mean, you go like, you know, head east and there's just so much more moisture and weather and it's just over here. It's just like riding in the desert. The motocross tracks out here just dry as a bone, just dust tracks. And yet it's the Mecca of, you know, motocross. It kind of blows my mind. You know, I live right in the dead center of it in, you know, Murrieta and right next to Temecula. And yeah, dude, like I want nothing to do with riding during the summer. I wait till the rain comes in the winter and that's when I start going. Yeah, he's like, what does he say? Yeah, California, whatever. He, I don't really like it. The traffic's beat. The dirt is beat. The chicks are beat. The chicks are beat. I mean, they're good looking, <laughs> but their minds are all whacked out. <laughs> so funny. It's, it's such it's a such legendary a quote. Yeah, dude, I love it. What a he's so Jersey. Like that that guy just screams Jersey. We should get him on the pod at some point. I, I'm pretty sure he oh, wouldn't do it, man. but uh, there's no not a chance no but that'd still be cool still be cool to get him on but uh yeah so we got we did sack that was awesome and then we got season finale in charlotte i've actually been training a lot for it like i really want to finish the season strong i like charlotte it's a it's a badass racetrack and season finale i won the season finale last year and it's always good to finish the year strong because like a lot of sponsors and people they look at how you finish a year like when i won the championship in 2019 I won the first three races, sorry, first three races, I, I won the championship, but I kind of finished like not as great as I started. And even though I was a champion, like nobody really like believed in me or thought I would, you know, I would do much more. So, um, and then last year I didn't win, but I finished the season strong. So uh, it's always good to finish the season strong and especially NASCAR weekend season finale. we got the super hooligans coming out. We got uh, just a lot of different people coming to this event. My family's going to make it out. We have our banquet the, the next day. And I just, uh, I just, I want to fin- finish the season strong. And, um, and yeah, I'm, I'm excited, man. Like you're coming out and racing some hooligan shit. So it's going to be, uh, it's yep. going to be awesome. It's going to be a big weekend for both of us, man. I'm, you know, you gotta, you gotta finish off strong and, and come out with a win. And I'm, I'm leading the points or tied for the points lead in the, the super hooligans championship we got nascar um i know there was a little bit of talk between you and i don't know if we don't have to talk about it right now but um we can always edit that um there's a little bit of talk uh, about you maybe racing super twins uh is that gonna happen or you just stick in stick into <laughs> production twins yeah it's kind of crazy it, it started going around before i even really planned on it and it kind of gave me the idea like i don't know who started it but i was like huh that would be cool i guess so um it's not looking like it's gonna happen i just don't think there's enough time to prepare and all we have in our in our arsenal of motorcycles are full-on production motorcycles so i don't have any of the fancy schmancy electronics or anything that the uh the non-Indians can use. And that's fine. Like I I'd still be cool with, uh, 
with with still taking a, a knife to a gunfight, but we just don't have enough people, I don't think, in our pits to help run two classes efficiently. I mean, we could probably half-ass it, but I don't really like to half-ass anything. We just pretty much have John and LJ and then me, you know, like we don't have um, we don't have a 10 person crew like a lot of these teams do. So uh, I wanted to do it. It's just it's not looking like it's I mean, there's still a small chance I might get frisky and just fucking like, let's just go for it. But um, we're about to talk to a mechanic, man. Maybe we just get him. Maybe there's another question for him at the end of this. He he probably would. Honestly, we maybe. Yeah, we can maybe get in a get in a little bit extra help there. But uh, no, it'd be fun. <laughs> it'd be fun. But we'll see. I don't. I don't know. It's not, it's not looking like it'll happen, but like I said, I might get, I might get frisky. I, I do miss racing with some of those guys and, and seeing where, uh, where I'm at. I, I, it'd be cool, but yeah, we'll play it by ear, man. I know the super hooligan stuff is, is coming out. How many guys are in your class coming out? Like are all the, are all the West coast boys coming out for it or. I mean, there's quite a few West coast guys coming out. I, I mean, I know my dad is sending his bike, um, Tony Al's is sending his bike out. Uh, Joe Cop's going to be racing an Indian, which is cool. Uh, I get to be Joe Cop's teammate for a day. That'll be that'll be really <laughs> rad. Um, you know, obviously Andy Debrino. I saw like Cole King's going to be there, like a bunch of East Coast dudes. McClendon, uh, it right? should be a pretty stacked field. What's that? Robbie Bobby? Is he doing it? Oh yeah, Robbie Bobby. He's actually. I mean that's actually my favorite person that's coming out to race. He's, uh, <laughs> he's building that triumph right now. He's all excited about it. And, uh, yeah, there's some stuff going on on Instagram, a little bit of drama, you know, a lot of smack talk East versus West. It's going to be fun, dude. Oh, really? Dude, there's some drama. What's, uh, Oh yeah. Little, uh, Tupac versus Biggie shit or what, man? Little, East yeah, versus a little, West. little bit of that little Tupac versus Biggie. And, uh, you know, a little drama between, you know, the, the KTM, those, those 790s and versus the rest of us, you know, American twin racers. And it's, uh, there's things going on. There's a lot of smack talk. I think Debrino's getting fired up and, uh, it, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. I mean, obviously Andy is fast and, you know, he's probably most of the time expected to win, but, uh, I don't know, man. I think the FTR is, uh, you know, putting on a big half mile like that, the thing's got some power, and we figured out how to put the power to the ground. And I, I, you know, you never know that could be its its uh, that could be its track. So we'll see. And we got Joe on one now too. So yeah, um, we'll see what happens. Eh? Hopefully, nobody gets in a fight or gets killed, or <laughs> you know, we make it through the weekend and it's all good, dude. No gang wars. Yeah, no, no gang wars would be would be ideal for for you guys, but the fans would probably dig like a good old good old fashioned fister in the middle of the track, but now Charlotte's, I think, honestly, you don't need, you don't need horsepower for Charlotte. It's a momentum, a momentum racetrack. So, uh, so I think any, any bike could, could, could do well there. It's got the potential. Um, but, uh, yeah, man, it's cool. There's actually five classes getting run at Charlotte. We have, um, the three AFT classes, the super hooligans, and then we have the Royal infield, um, the ladies doing the Royal, the Royal infield deal as well. So Still train race. Build train race, yeah. So whoever uh, the fans coming to Charlotte, you're gonna get your money's worth of action. It's uh, I saw the schedule and it's like I was like, holy shit, dude! It's it's, it's nonstop. Bad. It's nonstop, man. So um, yeah, we're actually going out there uh, Friday. I'm sorry, we race Friday, Thursday. We're gonna go out and we're gonna do um, we're gonna put some sh- Strider bikes together and uh, and take them over to 
the local elementary school. We're going to build them at the track and then deliver them to the, to the school, to the kids. We're trying to get, get kids on bikes early, man. And uh, I, I want you to come out and, and help us with that build if you're around. So uh, yeah, I'm totally going to be there. Rad. Yeah. That'd be cool to get you involved. Cause I, I don't really trust myself working on motorcycles, let alone um, bikes for kids. Like the handlebars will be falling off for these kids in gym class and, and I'll be, uh, yeah, responsible be for it. so I'll just like hand everybody tools and uh, pretty much what I do anyway. <laughs> I remember I, I worked on bikes at my dad's Harley shop when I was younger, I would do like the PDIs, like uncrate the bikes and put the handlebars on them and check tire. Pressure. Oh, you got this. Yeah. Well, I don't know. The, the one time one of the guys was test riding one of the bikes and uh, he said he was riding down the road and the hand, the handlebars fell forward on him. Like I forgot to tighten the bars. So, uh, so I mean, uh, uh, yeah, that would be all right. I mean, it's a couple of bolts. I've gotten a lot better since then, but uh, well, again, yeah. we're about to talk to a mechanic. Maybe you get some pointers. <laughs> well, <laughs> you're gonna, there's no pedals. They're just striders, dude. You got this. Yeah, I mean, I did cruises, but that's my kid. If his handlebars fall off, I don't feel as bad. So it's, uh, or I could just get Shana to come. She's pretty much been my my mechanic since I've been uh, since I've been young. So I could always bring Shay and make her uh, work on the bikes as well. But no, it should be good. I want to make sure before we get on the interview with Brent that we thank our sponsors for making the this show happen. Bell Power Sports. Check out bellhelmets.com to view their full line of products. Me and Frankie both wear the Race Star Flex. The quality and safety is unmatched. If you start tank slapping, you want to be protected by Bell. Yamaha Motorsports and Yamaha Racing. Check out their website at yamahamotorsports.com. Motorcycle, ATV, side-by-side, snowmobile, and power products. Indy Motorcycle. Since 1901, Indy Motorcycle has been the choice of riders who make their own rules. Check out a local dealership near you and scoop up on the new Scout or FTR model. They have a great line of baggers as well, including the Indian Challenger, which... Frankie knows very well. He races it in the, in the bagger class in Moto America. Uh, they're big supporters of racing, including the current Super Twins champion, Briar Bauman. And, and they do a lot of other stuff for different series as well, contingency, et cetera. And just stoked to have Indian on board. Uh, Roof Systems of Dallas, Texas, Uncle Jerry keeps the pod going, keeps the sport going. Commercial and industrial roofing company with nearly 40 years of experience. Check out his website at commercialroofsystems.net. Just saw... He went out and did a, a roof project for legend Terry Poovey, which uh, I thought was awesome. I just saw that on Facebook. He pretty much does commercial industrial roofing, but he, he redid the roof, uh, residential roof for, for Terry Poovey, who obviously many listening know he's a legend, legend of flat track racing. And big shout out to Brandywine Harley-Davidson, Tommy Hanum, and Chad's Ford, Pennsylvania. Tommy's been in business in the Harley industry for 65 years. Make sure you check him out uh, on Facebook and social media, Brandywine, Harley-Davidson, big supporters of racing. And Tommy is a, a rider himself, so it's always good to support those who support the sport. Um, but that's a, that's we got a big show coming up, man. Let's, let's get Brent Armbruster on the line, and uh, let's chat with the man himself. On the line, Brent Armbruster. Brent, what's going on, man? How you doing? Hey, I'm doing good. How are you guys doing? Doing well, man. We're doing well. I appreciate you coming on the show. Obviously, I've I've known you for a hell of a long time. Been in this game uh, a long time with you, man. I remember watching you a little bit when I was younger, and always kind of bugging your ass, calling for mechanical tips and advice. Because me and Frankie were just talking. I'm I'm a very subpar mechanic, and uh, 
you're, you've been a, a one of my main sources of info and always helped me out over the years and just stoked to get you on and kind of learn more about about your career uh started off racing man so let's get into that started off obviously uh i know a little bit about your pro career i don't know anything about your amateur career or where you got got started you're michigan born and raised so um obviously being in michigan it's not not too hard to find some flat track people in Michigan, but let's talk about how you got started and, uh, and maybe a little bit into your amateur career. Well, thanks for having me on. Um, I started, uh, when I was seven years old, I had an MR 50 that my parents got me and, uh, I have a couple older brothers. One of them was pretty big into racing too. So I kind of wanted to follow in his footsteps. Um, pretty much raced, every weekend when I was younger, all the way up until I turned pro. Um, did a lot of racing in Michigan and Ohio as an amateur. Um, just did it as like a family get together, met a lot of people, had a lot of fun. And uh, once you get it in your blood, it's, it's hard to get away from. Brent, so I mean, obviously you're, you're well known and you've been around a long time. And like, that's a cool thing to like, I always have a lot of respect for like old school flat track guys and you not only a mechanic now or, you know, in your later, later life, but like you raced, you raced professionally from 1990 was when you turned pro. Is that correct? Yes. And you raced all the way up until 2002. I mean, tell us kind of give us a walkthrough on that i mean because that was a you know that was a 12-year period and, and within that you know we saw a lot of you know you you would race with a lot of big time guys and you know give us a rundown of how your professional racing career went um i uh i pretty much did everything myself i worked a job as a machinist and then i would get out of work and work on my bike um load it into a van and pretty much drive to the races on my own and race load up and turn around come back home and go to work the next day um it was it was tough but it was fun um raced with a lot of fast fast guys it was uh it was hard just to make a main event back in the 90s and the early 2000s um so many good guys that we had 18 guys in the main event and it was pretty much 16 guys that were the same guys all the time that were the top guys. And, and then there would be a couple stray guys that would make it in every other weekend. And I was one of those guys that would make it in every other weekend. And, uh, it, it was tough trying to do everything on my own. I, I, I learned a lot. I learned a lot about racing, a lot about doing stuff of my own. And, uh, it was, it was, uh, it was definitely tough. Well, the nineties, man, that's, that's the camel pro days pretty much. And we talk about that a lot on the podcast. I mean, 1990 to 2002, I mean, you raced, you raced Ricky Graham, Scott Parker, Chris Carr, Will Davis, Steve Moorhead, Rodney Ferris, Ronnie Jones. Uh, the, the, the list goes on. I know I'm missing a lot of people. And then you raced into the early two thousands where, you know, the JR Schnabels were, were getting into it. Um, yeah, uh, Johnny Murphy, you know, that era of guys were kind of coming along. Uh, um, so yeah, you raised, raised some heavy hitters. I got a personal question for you. I don't know if I've ever even asked you this, but as a rider, what tracks did you like, man? I mean, most Michigan guys are cushion heads, but 
what was your kind of go-to um, favorite, favorite type of racetrack to race on? Like what, which ones did you do the best with? My favorite tracks are definitely car tracks. Um, my all-time favorite, uh, definitely Hagerstown, Maryland. Um, I look forward to that every year. The track is always fast and smooth and anything that had a blue groove on it or was wet and tacky, that, that was my favorite. Um, a cushion, um, towards the latter of my career, I didn't even go to them. I just, uh, I got to where I didn't like them. Um, every now and then I could, I could do decent at one, but I, I tried to stick to just the car tracks that that's what my, my favorite. Okay. Brent. So as a rider and then mechanic, you spent a lot of years within the, you know, AMA flat track, American flat track pits, and you went to a lot of races. I mean, you've, you've seen, you know, pretty much all of it, you know, for, you know, the, a good part of your life. I mean, what are some, some things good and bad that like differences that you see from like, let's say the nineties to now, I mean, is there things that you like things you don't like that have changed? I mean, how do you feel about that? Uh, it's, it's definitely changed a lot. Um, back when I raced in the nineties and the early two thousands, there was basically one brand in the, in the grand national big bike class. And that was Harley Davidson. And, and now you see some Kawasaki, Yamaha, Indian and Harley, and you see a little bit more uh, manufacturers involved in it. Um, and definitely it was Rotex were big back when I raced and, and you don't see any of that stuff anymore. There's no more Framer class for 500s or 600s. It's all uh, DTX now, which I think is good in a way because I think it brings a lot more of the younger people out to race because it's easier for someone to put a motorcycle together. They can go to a local dealership and get a bike and do suspension and put some wheels on it. It makes it a lot easier that way for sure. Um, the big bike class is still tough because you're running against uh, Indians pretty much every week. and they when they built their bike they they did everything the right way um it's it's unbeatable right now it's uh it's tough to beat that thing and you see a lot of changes with how many people that you see at the track now it, it seems to be kind of holding its own um but they've changed the rules so often that it makes it hard for for some of the the low budget people to keep doing it which I would like to see that come back, get some of the younger people that don't have as much money, let them still be involved in it and let them get up to where the top guys are. And right now, I think it's kind of hard to do that the way it's set up with only having 18 guys that are a set field every week. Um, it's hard for a younger guy money wise to be able to get into that group with a motorcycle and uh entry fee and just the tires and the amount of money it takes to do it the right way it's it's tough now so i think in a way it discourages some of the younger people um to go farther in flat track 
Yeah, I would agree. I would agree, Brent. I, uh, there's a lot of things there are, I mean, it's like a lot of people, they like to, to nitpick what's going on now. And like, there are some things like you mentioned the, the manufacturers and there's a lot of stuff that's good with what we're doing, but obviously there's some things that I would change as well. I mean, Frankie, you asked me before we talked, we called Brent, um, about if I was going to do super twins at Charlotte and I thought I forgot to mention the, uh, the entry fee for me to do a single round is like $500. Um, so that was a big, a big factor as well. I, I, I heard how much the, the wild card entry was and it's half a grand for me to just sign up for one race. And it's like, uh, you know, the way my bank account works, I don't know if I can make that happen, but, uh, so yeah, <laughs> so I mean, there's, there's some things definitely that, that we can do better. And I, I think I've heard, you know, obviously things are going to change hopefully a little bit for next year from, from what I've heard. So we'll see how things go, but I wanted to backtrack a little bit, Brent. Um, you raced in 2002. I kind of like to ask, you know, what prompted you to retire and what got you into the mechanical side of it? Cause you retired in 2002 and then you started being a mechanic, like right after from what I understand. Um, so talk about the decision to retire and moving into the next phase of your career as a mechanic. Um, in the last couple of years that I raced, like 2001 and 2002, I kind of just would pick and choose where I wanted to go. I didn't do the whole series. I would do five or six, seven races right around there. Um, and it just got to the point where it was getting so expensive for me. I was pretty much spending every dime I made work working to put into my motorcycle and make it the way it needed to be and it just got overwhelming and I had a really good couple friends that uh that traveled with me that raced also that got hurt really bad and it just got to the point where and I had a couple daughters so I just got to the point where I didn't want to get injured or uh get hurt and and it was hard to keep up with the money part of it. And uh, I just decided, and instead of spending money all the time, I was going to try to make a go at being a mechanic and try to make some money doing it. And uh, I actually started working for Paul Salastar, and uh, Sean Clark was the writer in 2003, and it kind of got my foot in the door of being a, a mechanic, and I enjoyed it. It was fun I still got to go to the races I still got to do what I love to do but actually make decent money doing it and and uh I, I don't know it it kind of grew on me and one thing led to another and I got to work with a lot of really good riders and work on a lot of really good teams and I've been very lucky to be able to do that so you've worked I mean obviously you you just said it yourself you've you've worked for uh, you know quite a few riders on a lot of teams you know you've worked on the xr you've worked you know on pretty much every bike that's ever been um you know a, a part of you know the flat track series twins you know xrs xgs um the triumph uh the ftr i mean you've worked on on all of them i mean i think one of the biggest things like especially since we have a mechanic on like one of the biggest questions that everyone has like unless you're in the pits every weekend and you, you know, but I mean, a lot of people don't know, like 
what's the biggest setback um, in like technical terms that the XG has compared to the Indian or even the Yamaha? Um, the XG, the biggest struggle with that is the crank is pretty small in it. So it tends to spin the back wheel a lot and you can't really get enough weight on the crank. You can do flywheel weights and stuff like that. Um, we tried so many different frames and frame versions and different flywheel weights. And the crazy thing about it is we would go test places with it and all the riders would say it was really good and they'd have really good times. But when we would go to the races and race against the Indian or an, or an XR, cause there was still some XRs racing at the time. I mean, we struggled bad just to, you know, be even close to them in any way. And it was just like, we tried everything with that thing. Um, and just, it's basically a, a street bike motor with a lot of mods done to it. And it's, it's just wasn't a good platform at, at the beginning and it's getting closer, but it's still, still has a long ways to go. And, and I don't know, it's tough to watch everything that's happening and, and you know how big Harley was at one time and they really are kind of not in it as much anymore. And it's sad to see, um, I would love to see them get back in it, you know, bigger and better and, and losing them in the, in the grand national and the big, in the big bike class is it's kind of a, it's, that's a big loss. Harley has did so much for the sport and they put a lot of money into it to get it to where it's at and to not see them really racing in that class. It's tough. You know, you only see one bike out there and that's James Rispoli and it's, it's tough to see that. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. As a Harley kid too, growing up, it's, uh, it's crazy for me to, to think about. I, uh, if, if you told me 15 years ago, that's where we'd be now with Harley, I'd say, I would say, well, then our sport w won't exist. You know, it's, it's crazy that that's kind of how things are. And basically Harley, you know, from dominating to now, it's kind of like some of the fans, like, mo like they're making a mockery of Harley. It's like, man, like, uh, it's just, as a guy that grew up in the sport, grew up with Harley and how much love for the sport guys like Willie G and, and Billy Davidson and those guys have, it's uh, it's a shame, you know, it really is. So hoping, hoping they, they can get some things sorted and, and, uh, and we can, we can see the some orange and black up front again, because it's definitely good for the sport. We have a lot of loyal fans that are, that are Harley riders. Um, but with that being said, you were, I guess the title is crew chief for the Vance and Hines Harley team with the XG 750 project. I think it was one or two years. Can you talk about that uh, experience a little bit, what you yeah. learned with the XG and what, what you think they could do to maybe make that, that motorcycle better or what progress that you saw while you were there? Yeah, I started there in October of 2016 and uh, I worked till the middle of 2018 and when I got there, they had a, uh, what you would call a single backbone frame. And they had Davis Fisher riding at the time. And he, he had some decent finishes. And we ended up um, pretty much designing a whole different frame. 
with like a, a twin spar to go around the the fuel injection and uh, made a lot of adjustments on adjustable swing arm, pivot, uh, steering head angle, and we did a lot of testing. Um, pretty much started out with the same motor that they ran with Davis with the modifications that they had the first year that I was there. And then uh, we struggled a little bit. We had some good finishes, got some stuff to work pretty decent. And then the following year, we started to add a lot of weight to the crank and started doing flywheel weights. And it was weird because some of the riders that I worked with really liked the weight on the crank and the flywheel. And some of the riders did not like it. So it was kind of a mixed feelings about how the motor was going. Um, we we tried so much stuff. We did a lot of testing. Um, I think when I was there for the year and a half, two years, we went through three or four different frame combinations, changing stuff, trying to get stuff better. And everything that we did, it got better. And we had a lot of progression with it, but it's still, we couldn't compare anything to how the Indian is. It's, the Indian is just, the way it was built, it was definitely thought out. You know, everything is the way it needs to be with the engine. And and with the Harley, we basically had a street bike motor with a bunch of modifications. And uh, we tried heavy cranks, um, different head configurations, uh, dual cam heads, single cam heads. And we had decent results sometimes but a lot of times we would just struggle for traction and it didn't seem like anything that we did at the races when we were struggling would would work or would help and we would go back and make a bunch of changes and test some more and and get feedback from the riders and we just kept trying to make it better and we did throughout the couple years but then it kind of got to where it was just, we were like at a standstill and nothing was going forward. And it, it was hard to be there and hard to watch that and hard to be a part of it. And it, it was a struggle, not, not being able to win and going from winning on XRs and, and other brands. It's just, it was a struggle and I don't know, it, it, uh, it was hard, very hard. Yeah, it's, it's always tough to see, you know, it's, it's like you said earlier, it's tough to see Harley not being a part of this. I mean, especially now that Indians, you know, come in so hot, it, it kind of sucks to not see that Harley Indian battle. I think that's, I think that's, you know, kind of like a big thing between Harley and Indian is like they got that rivalry, but to not have it in AFT where, you know, that's kind of where it all derived from was flat track racing it kind of sucks to see that. And, uh, you know, hopefully, like you said, Harley, Harley will figure something out or there'll be some changes made to where we get that back. Because I think that's, you know, a huge part of bringing fans in and creating like the diversity between the two brands. I think that's really important for the sport. Um, so I got like a, a kind of a two part question for you, you know, talking about different bikes and stuff like that. Um, the K KTM, like we've heard rumors of KTM possibly coming in and doing a twins thing. And, and they have that 790 um, now turned into the 890, 
um, Duke, and we've seen some success with it, uh, a lot of success with it in the Super Hooligans National Championship, um, which I take part of. I've never got to ride one of those bikes. Um, but what do you think, like, you know, that bike's, we, what do you think about Super Hooligans in general? And then, and then that bike, you know, that KTM doing so well, but then what do you think that the kind of success or not success that, that they would have in a Super Twins championship? I think the Super Hooligans, I think it's, it's pretty cool because it lets uh, a lot of guys that raced professional in the past that kind of got out of it, it lets, lets them get back in and, and be a part of racing again at a top level at some good tracks and ride race against some really good people. Um, and you see a lot of different brands. You're seeing Indian and that you're seeing Harley, you're seeing KTM, you're, you're seeing a lot of different varieties of motorcycles with everybody having their own twist, put on the bikes with doing whatever they're doing to the frames and the engines. And it's, it's pretty cool to see cause it's, it's getting a lot of people involved in, and, being able to go to a lot of different places that they couldn't go to in the past and putting that in the, in the super twins class, I think certain places it would work really good uh, where there's traction, um, a sticky car track or a place that's a deep cushion. I think it would work really well. The biggest downfall I would think would probably be the crank is really small and it doesn't have a lot of flywheel weight. So on a lot of the slippery tracks, we would probably have a problem getting traction um, unless you could figure out a way to get some weight on it for sure. But I I think uh, KTM's been around a long time. They make really reliable stuff that's fast. Um, But if you could get some traction in that thing, I I think it would uh, would do really good. Let's, uh, let's talk riders that you've worked for, man. I want to get some grit. I want to get some, uh, I want to get some input on, on some of the riders you worked with. You got, this is what I showed up for. You got Gary Rogers. <laughs> you got Sean Russell, Brian Bigelow, Jared Meese. Obviously you won two championships with Jared Jersey, Jake, Henry Wiles, Brandon, Johnny Lewis. Holy fuck, man. You've had every personality you can get. Then you get about a phone call a week from me unofficially. So um, who, who is the biggest pain, pain in the ass as far as a rider? Uh, maybe the most talented. Who is the most fun to work with? Uh, I just kind of want to get some input on some of these guys you worked with. Uh, I, I had a lot of good people that I was able to work with and won some races and had a lot of fun with some guys for sure. Um, I would say the hardest one to work with was definitely Henry Wiles for sure. Um, the easiest is definitely Brandon. I get along with Brandon really well. Um, when he's out there, I can see what the bike's doing. We talk about things. We kind of can read each other's mind, make decisions. And, and, and Jared, I kind of was the same way. We, we got along really good at the track. We were able to do work really good together win win some races and and have a lot of top finishes and won a couple championships and um they were all i would say they were all pretty easy to work with um just getting them 
the proper things that they needed to be comfortable and and to get the bike working for them. Um, and once we did that, I had pretty good success with all of them. Um, a lot of good finishes with pretty much all of them. Um, I, and I was I was lucky to be able to be put with a lot of those guys and to work on a lot of good teams. Um, and to be able to win a couple championships with Jared was really cool. Um, we still talk a lot. We still we're still friends. Um, I talk to Brandon a lot. Um, Sean Russell, I talk to a lot. Um, just I don't know. It's it's pretty cool to be able to work with so many good guys and and be able to take it to the level that we did. That uh, I, I'm a lucky guy for sure. Brent, what's what's uh one of the weirdest things? Like, I mean, and maybe there wasn't one, but uh, I spent like a lot of time in you know the Supercross Motocross paddock and was good with a bu- good friends with a bunch of mechanics there. But I always like to ask him like, what's one of like the most oddball things as a mechanic you've ever had to do for a rider? And uh, what is your what is the worst thing? about being a mechanic, what do you hate doing the most on a race weekend or during the week, you know, as far as wrenching goes, what, what's the worst thing? Um, oddball things, um, that a rider would need. Um, Ooh, I don't, I don't, I never really had that. Um, a lot of guys are particular about grips and handlebars, um, foot peg location, but Pretty much all the guys I worked with were pretty easy to work with um, in that aspect. Um, didn't really have anything out of the ordinary with any riders. Um, I would say the thing that I disliked the most about being a mechanic was times when you're struggling at the track and you're, you're doing really poorly um, and not being able to figure out how to go faster, how to make the bike better when you're struggling really bad. That's the thing that I had a hard time with. If, if we started out struggling really bad in a night, um, it was hard to get it turned around. There was times where we did turn it around and have really good finishes, but there was times where you struggled all night long and couldn't figure it out. But then you're driving home that night and it's just like ding, ding, ding. It pops in your head, things that you could have did make it better and and at the time you couldn't think about it you know it didn't come to you and and then you could make those changes next time you went back to that place and and see how much better it would work and a lot of times it would be spot on and it's just uh it was tough to be struggling and and times and not being able to make it better for the rider and and to get better finishes that was probably the hardest thing for me I got a couple more questions for you, man. I'll let you let you get back to it. But uh, stats aside, you know, there's obviously you can go by stats on anything. But who is the best tuner to ever do it, in your opinion, for flat track? Um, I would maybe say the most under- probably the best. Tolbert. I was gonna say maybe the most underrated or whoever you think is the best. Yeah, I would say Tolbert. Tolbert's had some good people to work with. He's worked on some really good teams, but the guy is, he, he's smart. He, uh, 
he knows how to get the job done. He knows how to make power. Uh, he's definitely no dummy. He's been around a long time, and he uh, he works hard at it, and it shows. You know, he's got a lot of championships, and and he's humble. He's a humble guy. He's not like some of the other guys you see that that brag. He he's a quiet like who? guy. Like who? Like like who, Brent? And, <laughs> you know you know who I'm talking about. <laughs> I don't I don't want to say that name because the guy doesn't like me. Oh, he loves me. So, He's got green shoelaces, guys, for those listening. But uh, yes, yes, he does. <laughs> green shoelaces and sometimes some green tennis shoes. Yep, yep. <laughs> no, that's cool, man. The, the <laughs> amount of respect a lot of you guys have for each other. Uh, uh, you know, Dave Zanotti's another guy who super complimentary of of other mechanics, and and uh, now that's that's really cool to hear. I'll ask you one more, and then I'm sure Frankie's got got one more. Or so, but. Um, in your opinion, what is more important as a tuner? Is it being good at building a fast bike or is it being good at setting up the motorcycle on race day? Um, I would say setup is pretty important, but then you have to have a bike that's built properly, you know, that stays together and, and works good. So it's kind of, I would say a combination of both, but Set, setup is more important, I would say, because you could take a bike that's not as fast as a bike that's set up good, and the bike that's set up better will outperform the faster motorcycle. Because there's guys that do one or the other. Like you have your motor builders and you have your setup guys. You're one of a handful of guys who have been known to, to excel at both. So, yeah, that's, I was just curious because I, I, I mean, I know you know, sometimes you have a good engine builder, but he don't, he don't even know anything about setting the bike up. So it's good to have that package. I feel. Yeah. And, and it helps when you raced in the past and you kind of know what changes do to the motorcycle and you can listen to the feedback of the rider and actually know and, and feel exactly what he's feeling out there. Cause you've rode the motorcycle and raced the same in all the same type of stuff. So that helps a lot for setup for sure. Being able to come from the same racing background and, and do the same thing by setting the motorcycle up after riding it. Yeah, that's really, that's really cool to, to be able to, to be kind of an expert on, on both sides of the fence with that, because like Corey said, uh, not a lot of people can do both. And, you know, I think you explained it best being a rider, um, first and foremost and coming from, you know, being a racer, you learn to do both, you know, if you're smart enough. And I think that's really cool. I have a lot of respect for that. Um, so, you know, we've asked a lot of serious questions and, and which were all very important because, um, you know, the knowledge coming from someone of your nature is huge. And there's a lot of information that not a lot of people know. And I learned a lot just in this, in this last 45 minutes, but, uh, that, that was all really cool. But, through all your years of being a racer, being a mechanic, you've been in the, you know, flat track paddock for a long time. You've seen a lot of stuff after the checkered flag flies and everyone packs up and goes home or, or, or leaves the track of all these years you've been around who partied the hardest. Ooh, I would say, uh, probably Springer. He's definitely, uh, likes to hang out afterwards and, and 
eat some dinner and party and have fun. He's, you know, probably one of the biggest guys. Parker, he he was big at it. They would definitely throw down after the races. <laughs> I think they're still doing it. <laughs> yes. Yes, they Man, can. the biggest partier <laughs> I've seen, like, and I've seen some shit. Like, I mean, I, I've I've <laughs> I've watched from a distance uh, many after party, and the biggest sender I've ever seen is probably Mark Cheza. Like, I brought this up recently, but I've seen times where Mark Cheza, <laughs> he's on a different planet from everybody else in the fucking room, <laughs> and he is like loving life, and then he he's at the track the next day like carrying an XR motor into a frame or, or whatever. Like, I don't know how you guys are wired in Michigan. Like it makes no, everyone you mentioned is from Michigan. Like that makes no sense. Like it never me. happened. Like it never happened. That's called a professional. Oh, yeah. It's crazy. Yes. Professional partier drinker. He definitely has that under control for sure. He knows how to do Good it. For him. Good for him. <laughs> All right, man. Well, real, real fast before I let you go, what's, what's, what are you doing nowadays real fast? We didn't even touch upon that, but I want, I want, I want the fans to know what, what you're doing and what's your plan for the future, man. We haven't seen you at the track in a while and we'd love to see you back, man. We'd love to get, get you back at the flat track stuff. I actually did some IMSA sports car racing the last couple of years, actually uh, won a championship last year as a crew chief doing it. And, uh, this year, I just kind of wanted to get back out of it and uh, start my own deal. I, I bought a, a truck, and I've been doing a little bit of trucking. It's kind of relaxing and been driving around the country, uh, dropping off um, trailers. And just uh, that's kind of what I've been doing the last couple months and, and having fun doing it. And I would love to get back racing again with motorcycles and never know, maybe I can uh, – get back into it and and get it started back up again and and do some do some good yeah absolutely absolutely thanks again for coming on the show man i've always had a lot of respect for you and good friend of mine for a long time and just getting some insight from you uh definitely definitely appreciate it the fans are going to dig it so uh we'll catch up with you soon and uh thanks for always answering my phone calls on race day i appreciate it you're welcome, man. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate both you guys. Thank you. Yeah, very right, cool, man. Thanks a lot. See you later. All right. See you, man. See ya. Later. Bye. Dude, that was awesome. Dude, there's a lot of cool things that came from that guy. I'm <laughs> that was joking right now. Yeah, this has right been on one of my favorite guys. episodes. Yeah, that was awesome. That was good. I he's actually trucking right now. He's in Elko, Nevada. He's driving. I think he just ordered before we called. I think he ordered. Uh, I asked him where he was, and he's like Elko, Nevada. And there's one of my favorite restaurants I've ever gone to in the in the country is in Elko, Nevada. Uh, when he told me he was there, I got fucking hype. I'm like, there's a Mediterranean restaurant uh, in Elko. They have the best food I've ever had. They're super nice. They, they're just, it's like the raddest place ever. I'm like, go there right now and get food. He caught up, picked up food. And then I, I don't, I, I hope he ate his food before he called. Cause I felt bad keeping him, keeping him, keeping him on the line with the, with his food sitting there. But uh, dude, it's just like the guys he mentioned that he's worked with is, uh, is just incredible, man. It's just cool. The a long, 
long time tuner and it's a bummer he's not out there right now tuning bikes like we definitely it'd be cool to cool to bring him back yeah i mean i've been hearing his name for years and years and years i never you know i've never met him i've never you know spent time with him and and man what a cool guy with a lot of just awesome knowledge and experience and not afraid to talk about it all and he just let it all out there man that's really cool yeah uh, I doubt we'll do a show before Charlotte being that I'm probably leaving. Uh, we're recording this on a th- is this Thursday. Yeah, it's Thursday night. Uh, I don't know if we'll get one in next week, guys. So let's talk about Charlotte a little bit, Frankie. Obviously, there's a lot up for grabs in the Super Twins class. We got Jared and Briar going for a title. Um, I'll let you go first. Any thoughts on that? What are, your, uh, what are you thinking going into this final race? Dude, there's, I mean, I'm going to lose more sleep over the Super Twins championship than I am about myself racing in Charlotte. Um, There's a lot on the line there, and there's two of the baddest dudes to ever ride flat trackers that are like, what is it, six points apart right now? Four. Or four points apart right now. I mean, basically it comes down to whoever, whoever wins. You know, and it's most likely going to be one of the two, especially, I mean, neither of those guys are going to leave anything sitting on the table. You know, they're going to let it all out and it's going to come down to, to the wire. And, uh, you know, I, uh, Jared's more of a mile guy. And, you know, I think, uh, you know, Briar may have had some more success on smaller tracks and in the last couple of years, but dude, you never know what's going to happen. I, I, like I said, I'm stressing. I mean, both of them, I mean, me riding for Indian, those guys being the Indian guys, you know, the factory guys, it's, uh, you know, it, for me, I, I just want to see both of them win. But, I mean, at the end of the day, that's not going to happen. You know, it's, uh, it's stressful. It's stressful. And, um, obviously, I'm really close with Briar. Um, he's like a brother to me. But I've known Jared for many years as well. And, and it's, I, I wish it didn't come to, I wish it could be any two other guys. I just, I just, not them. So it'll be cool. I'm, I'm really excited. What do you, what do you think? Well, I'm a, obviously a little biased. I mean, I, I respect uh, Jared from a riding standpoint and his accomplishments and, and things like that. And what, what he brings to the table uh, as one of the best guys to ever do it. I've, I've said it multiple times in interviews and podcasts, you know, I think Jared, uh, I think right now he's top three to ever do it. You know, I think he's definitely on that Mount Rushmore of, of flat track. So, um, I think that says, that says enough about what, you know, for my respect for him and as far as his, uh, his riding ability. But if you look at the, you know, and I'm I'm fucking biased with this. I got Briar's my brother-in-law and that's my dude. So, um, you know, going, going into this, uh, the last, you know, two seasons or three seasons, Briar has been in control of every championship, you know, the first two years, he's pretty much been in control. Wasn't really, he was never really in a must win situation until this year. And I'm not saying who's going to win Charlotte, but going into a must win race for somebody like Briar, I wouldn't want to be anybody else. Like if he has to go in and win the race, he is going to leave everything on the table to go win the race. And it's not a mile where everything's horsepower dependent and it's kind of obvious that, you know, Tolbert and Meese, they have a really good mile package. I mean, they won all the mile races by 30 seconds. And it's not like, you know, the talent level gap is that it's much. Insane. 
Um, so hats off to them. Like they, they brought a really good package to the table, but as far as going into a must win race, like Briar, he's, he's, uh, he's in attack mode. So, um, take it for what it's worth from a, from a biased, biased guy. I mean, Jared's he's, he's obviously won quite a few half miles in his day as well. So he's no slouch. He can go out there and very well win this thing on the half mile. But as far as a, a must win scenario, you have, you know, Jared, you know, who knows how many, he's old, a lot older than Briar. Who knows how many more opportunities he's going to have to put a number one plate on his bike. And I think more pressures on Jared. I mean, if he doesn't win this, you know, it's um, he doesn't have, who knows, you know, he's, his time frame for, for doing this is, is less than Briar. You, you would think, um, you know, Briar yeah. for him to win two titles already at age 26, he doesn't have, I, I wouldn't think he has a lot of pressure. Everybody is mentioning that, that Jared's getting in Briar's head because Briar has shown emotion. I don't think people know Briar. Like he shows emotion when he wins, loses. That's, that's just his, his MO. Like, um, people say that, you know, he was getting in his head. That made me laugh. Cause I know Briar. It's like, dude, that guy, you can't get in his head. He's just an emotional person in general. So, uh, uh-huh. so it's interesting, man. I, I think it'll be good as a fan. Um, it'll be interesting. Obviously I'm, I'm team Briar, but, it, um, as a fan, I'm, I'm excited for it. And the only thing that I don't like it comes down to is I don't feel it should be four points. I feel like they should be tied with, um, the 107% rule at Atlanta. Um, it wasn't enforced, but then it was enforced at Peoria. That was the only race. It wasn't enforced. I have a tough time with that. I feel like it should be tied going into the race, but whatever. I mean, you're not going to lose sleep over it, but that's kind of the only thing that kind of leaves a sour taste in my mouth going into this is them waving that 107%, 107% rule, Meese going out, doing half a lap or whatever it was in Atlanta and getting four points. So um, it'll be good. It'll be good. Yeah. We, got the, we got the singles class, and but uh, it, it'll be good, man. There's there's some there's some titles up for grabs. Yeah, I think that's something else that maybe we, we, we forgot to touch on it at any point in the last you know, a few shows is the, the kind of inconsistency in, in, uh, you know, the, the rules and enforcing them as far as enforcing them goes, uh, in the last, you know, few races, you know, there was obviously you mentioned the Mies thing and the hundred percent, 107%, you know, in Atlanta. And then, you know, all that weird stuff that happened in the singles class where, you know, uh, Dallas crashed, but he still won and like all this weird stuff of like rules changing at midnight. I know that like, you know, a couple of the teams are, are kind of battling with, with fighting that and, you know, the inconsistency in the, in the enforcement of the rules. But I mean, regardless, I mean, uh, AFT doing a really good job with marketing and all that stuff and you can't knock them, but you know, there's on the technical side, some, some weird things happening, but, uh, I think that's for another time maybe, but, uh, well, I just wanted to yeah. like last show I made, I made a mention of it and I didn't follow up with the, um, the rule with, uh, the rider. We talked about it on an earlier pod with the Dallas and Trevor Bruner, uh, that whole deal. We don't need to get back into that, but the consistency of it, like Max whale at Volusia, he ran in the Cole Zabala, Cole Zabala fell. There was a red flag. They put Max back. I'm sorry. They, what was it? Yeah. 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 So they took out, um, Max took out Cole Zabala stayed up and on the red flag, they penalized Max for, for taking, 
um, Cole out. But then at Sacramento with the whole Shana thing, with the whole Shana thing, uh, Hunter Bauer who ran into Shay. Uh, I like Hunter Bauer. He's a good kid. It's, it's nothing, nothing about the rider. We'll just say rider X, uh, ran into rider Y who is Shana again, not, not trying to be biased, but, uh, he ran, <laughs> he ran in the, it makes it seem like I'm biased as fuck, but, uh, ran in, the, ran in the Shana. Um, she was, you know, totally not at fault. She was going into the corner on the groove. Um, she got taken out, but she didn't get her spot back. Uh, like Cole Zabala got his spot back or however it was like the it's, and that's what kind of, she was so pissed about and the inconsistencies with, uh, with that, I think it's good to enforce that, but you gotta be consistent with anything. Um, any sort of ruling you have, just be consistent, uh, with, with that sort of, with that sort of deal. I mean, it's hard to, there's a lot of gray areas in that whole takeout, get your spot back or get your result or whatever. I, I think there's, they're opening up a can of worms with what they're doing. Um, but you got to be consistent with what you're doing. I think, I think that's key. Yeah, I very, I fully agree, but I mean, it is what it is. And like you said, we're heading into the final round and, and there's four points separating uh top two in the, in the super twins class and things are going to get really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And at the end of the day, man, like the, the biggest advice, like I, I could, I mean, not that I'm in a place to give either one of those guys advice. Like, obviously I've won, I've won some, you're, you're a champion, man. Yeah. You know, yeah. I've won, <laughs> I've won to be a champion. No, I, I get it, but uh, they're champions too. But at the end of the day, it's um, like we race motorcycles, but try not to let it define who you are as a person, like go out there, race your best. But at the end of the day, like motorcycles is what you do. It's not, completely who you are so um you know win or lose i know it's going to be tough for for whoever doesn't win it's going to be tough mentally but at the end of the day like um being in that position to even contend for a championship and i've been there like i've i've won it i've lost it i won it back different you know different ways i've worked for it um just being in position to even contend for a title is something that you can look back on and just appreciate that opportunity. It's kind of what I told Max whale. Cause he's, he's a little bummed uh, about where he's at in the points. Cause he was in a good position for a championship. And obviously he's 20 points back now. And I'm like, bro, I'm like, just, you know, appreciate these opportunities, win or lose. Um, it's really cool that you're, you're relevant to win a championship at the professional level. I mean, there's tons of guys who have never been close to that opportunity so, um, that's what kind of helped me a lot last year, um, you know, get through it, losing it was just realizing like, man, win or lose, like, this is still pretty awesome. Like I'm fighting for a championship and in losing it, I was able to kind of learn so much that helped me this year. Um, so yeah, two obviously phenomenal riders and it'll be, it'll be exciting. I can't wait, man. It's going to be fun. It's going to be cool that we're all going to be there too. You know, <laughs> yeah, for um, sure. we'll be able to see it in person. It's going to be nuts. And it's the finale and it's yes. a flat track race. So who knows what kind of weird stuff's going to happen afterwards. <laughs> yeah. No, I think, I think they're both, uh, they'll both win or lose with class. I mean, obviously they're competitors, but they're not, you know, they're, they're good people at heart. So, uh, so it'll be good, but I don't have much else, man. There's not a lot else going on, really. There's no moto, really, right now. There's no road racing, really. Uh, MotoGP this weekend at Coda, I guess. we. Valentino's we last race yeah, on American so, soil. Valentino's last race. Kind of cool. 
we're not super MotoGP ish on the, obviously we both love MotoGP, but uh, we don't chat oh, yeah. it too much, but, uh, but that's a big one Coda and uh, there's just not a lot going on, dude. Uh, I did want to give a shout out Hastings, Michigan, the Tom Cummings Memorial is this Saturday, October 2nd, big, big money up for grabs. I was trying to get out there. I had a, a motor blow up on my practice twin, got it next day aired. I was supposed to get it today and it's coming tomorrow. And I have, to, I would have to leave tomorrow to go. So for me to get that motor in, to get the bike together, I'd have to drive all night. It's a day race. It's nine and a half hours to get there. It's not looking like I'll be able to go to it, but it'll be a great event. There's some, uh, a lot of people are going Tom Cummings, um, TCR racing. Obviously they had a lot of great riders ride for him over the years. Will Davis, Nikki Hayden, uh, shit. I know there's, a lot more. I don't want to speak, uh, speak on Nick obviously Nick Cummings, his son is a phenomenal rider and a uh, really good guy. I, I really, really like, man, I, I miss Tom Cummings. He was a really cool guy to me and uh, it'll be, it'll be a good event. I wish I was going. Um, but that's, that's pretty much all I know that's going on. I want to give a quick shout out to our sponsors and make this show happen. Make sure you guys follow them on social media and just thank them for supporting our podcast bell power sports check out bellhelmets.com follow them on social media yamaha motorsports and yamaha racing big fans of of what they do for the sport and and just our podcast contingency uh, amateur racing in general moto america for always supporting what we do we appreciate them as well indian motorcycle roof systems of dallas texas and jerry stinchfield and tommy hannum brandy wine harley davidson hannum's harley davidson uh, a lot of great people step up and make this podcast happen week in and week out big shout out to my my boy my co-host frankie for coming on taking the time and crushing it billy the guy that edit billy he edits the shows and appreciate him um as well and then uh, everybody that subscribes to us on soundcloud spotify itunes leaves us reviews that's uh it's special for us and it goes a long way with keeping us motivated to get on here and, and do this every week so uh big shout out and uh, lots of love to everybody that's a wrap. We're done, dude. We'll see you all in Charlotte.